we're going to um, look at a two-part sermon series on the doctrine of divine healing. So we're going to look at the subject of does God heal? And I'm talking about physical healing, the physical, our physical bodies. And so I'm going to start the sermon today and then I'll finish it next Sunday. So hopefully you will come back next Sunday to hear this two-part sermon series on does God heal the sick, all right? And so thank you. Um, if you have your Bibles, if not, you can look to the screen behind me. Isaiah chapter 53, beginning with verse number one. This is an Old Testament scripture where the prophet Isaiah is um, he's speaking of the nation of Israel, but we know that it is a prophetic fulfillment of uh, Jesus. Isaiah, can you all hear me loud and clear out there? I'm having trouble with my microphone. It's attached to a t-shirt. So it's struggling to stay on my chest. So I've pinched all the hairs on my chest just to make sure that this microphone doesn't drop while I'm preaching. And I've tried everything, but it was a wrong idea to wear this shirt. But I'm here, folks. I'm here. So Isaiah 53, verse number one. <laughs> We're just family, right? <laughs> Isaiah 53, verse number one. Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as the root out of dry ground. He has no form of comeliness, and when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. For he is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and we hid as it were our own faces from him. For he was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs, he has carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him smit, uh, stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. We are like sheep that's gone astray. We have turned everyone his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Father, we thank you for this opportunity. And we pray, Lord, that as we get into your word today, that you would open up your word and that everything that's said and everything that's done, Lord, would bring you the glory. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. You may be seated. This morning, church, let me remind you that uh, you are a part of a movement called the Pentecostal movement. I'm not necessarily talking about a denomination, I'm talking about a movement. The Pentecostal movement has over 600 million Pentecostals in the world. It is said by Philip Jenkins, who wrote the book, The Next Christendom, that the Pentecostal movement is one of the fastest growing movements around the world. In the year 2025, the Pentecostal movement will almost surpass the Catholic Church which the Catholic Church is the largest church in the world, and their attendance is over one billion. The Pentecostal movement is growing at a very fast rate. Latin America is changing their worship services from a more of a traditional liturgy style to more of a charismatic style because the Pentecostals, according to the Vatican, is stealing their people. There is a dilemma. And you may look around this morning. You may see a few people missing, but let me remind you that the Pentecostal movement is exploding across the seas. Latin America and Africa is experiencing so much growth that according to the Assemblies of God, they don't have enough churches to house the people that's coming to Christ. Let me tell you that God is a missionary God and he is moving across the world. And I don't want you to ever get discouraged to think that God don't save, God don't heal, God don't deliver because God is so much bigger than the city of Galena. He is so much bigger than the city of Joplin. He is so much bigger than the state of Missouri. He is a big God and he is moving across the world. 
And I want to remind you that he still saves, he still heals, he still delivers, he is still changing lives. People, Christianity is not dying. It is not on the deathbed. It is not on a respirator. Jesus said 2,000 years ago to the apostle Peter, upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The church is not sick. The church is not dying. The church is not barely making it. I want to remind you we are alive and well. According to one statistics, they say that Islam is the fastest growing religion around the world. But upon further research, you'll understand why they're the fastest grown religion. They're the fastest grown religion because their conversion rate is done by the sword. If you don't convert, you are killed. So their conversion rate is increasing because of the sword. But upon further research, Christianity is the fastest growing religion around the world, not by the sword, but by the very heart. Did you hear me? The prophet Jeremiah said, there's coming a day where I'm going to take out the heart of stone and I'm going to give him a heart of flesh. So this movement that you're a part of is not a dying movement. It is a live movement, a living movement, an organic movement that is moving around the world, the Holy Spirit changing the hearts of people that they can come to Christ. And our movement, the Pentecostal foundation, our very existence was based on four things. Four things. You ready for it? When the Pentecostal movement came out of the holiness movement, which was the Wesleyan Methodist movement, when the Pentecostals come out of that, they established four cardinal doctrines. Number one, they fervently taught that Jesus is the Savior. Number two, they taught that Jesus is the baptizer of the Holy Ghost. That salvation is one part of the equation, but there is another experience. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son to whosoever believeth should not perish, but have everlasting life. But Luke 3.16 says, John said to Jesus, I am not even worthy to untie your sandal straps. Is that what John said? But Jesus said to John, somebody's going to come after me that's going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with... You see, John 3.16, salvation. Luke 3.16, the, the baptism of fire. So the Pentecostal movement established four things. Number one, Christ is the Savior. Christ, number two, is the baptizer of the Holy Ghost. And number three, Christ is the healer of our bodies. And number four, they taught that Christ is the soon coming king. It is called what many refer to as the fourfold gospel. A woman by the name of Amy Sibyl McPherson, who in the 1920s and 30s, a woman who broke away from the assemblies of God because she wore makeup and she was divorced, they, they, they kind of pushed her out a little bit. She started a church in Los Angeles called the Angelus Temple. She got a hold of this revelation and founded a movement called the Four Square Gospel. The Assemblies of God in their 16-point doctrine declares that there are four main doctrines of the Pentecostal movement. Christ is the Savior, Christ is the Baptizer, Christ is the Healer, and Christ is the soon-coming King. That's what unifies all Pentecostals around the world is these four cardinal doctrines. He is the Savior, and there is no other way to God but through Jesus Christ. He is the baptizer of the Holy Ghost. Can I hear an amen? And number three, he is the healer of our physical bodies. And number four, he is the soon coming king. That is the fourfold gospel. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He's the savior. He's the baptizer. He's the healer. The book of John. The book of Luke, the book of John, he is the soon coming king. You see? The fourfold gospel. 
And we have done a great job emphasizing that Christ is a Savior. And I think that we, in some portions, have done a great job emphasizing that you need an experience called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We preach that Jesus is coming back. That doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure that out. But sometimes we have shied away from the doctrine of healing because we've had experiences in our life where we have become confused. Why is it that I can pray for someone and they are immediately healed and I pray for somebody else and it seems like they die of that sickness? Why is it? Why is it that we can have a prayer line and out of 60 people, only 20 get healed and the rest go back to their seats not healed? These are questions that have plagued the minds of theologians for years or for centuries. As a matter of fact, there are some who are so confused about the issue that they will adamantly preach that miracles and signs and wonders was done away with with the apostles. The last apostle, who is John, died around 90 to 95 AD. After he died, many people think, well, the miracles died, healing died, the gifts of the Spirit died. They will advocate that miracles, healings, and the gifts of the Spirit are not operative in the local church or in the heart of a believer because when the last apostle died, all the miracles were done away with. And that is what makes Pentecostalism kind of separate a little bit from the rest of the churches. There are some churches you go to learn about God, and there are some churches you go to experience God. But Pentecostalism wants to bridge both of them. We want you to know about God, but we also want you to experience what you know about. It is a head religion and a heart religion. It is merging them both together. Thou shalt love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, which is your mind, your will, and your emotions. So church is not just about learning about God, which I believe we should learn about God. We should be educated. But yes, John Wesley said in that great holiness movement that Methodism, which is where we come from, he said it is the religion of the heart. It is more about just reading about it. It is experiencing it. And I do not believe, ladies and gentlemen, that signs and wonders and healing was done away with when the last apostle died. Now let me just educate you. You may sit there and think, how in the world can anybody read the New Testament and come to the conclusion that God does not heal? Well, let me just remind you what they think. When other Christians read the Bible, they somehow think, well, yes, Jesus did heal the sick. Yes, he raised the dead. Yes, he did these miracles. But those miracles were only done to validate who Jesus is. So Jesus is walking on the earth, and when he was doing the miracles, the miracles were pointing to Jesus to tell everybody that Jesus is more than just a man, that he's actually God in human flesh. So the miracles were done to validate who Jesus was. And since we got the Bible, and since we know who Jesus is, we don't need miracles to prove to us who Jesus is. So lots of churches will say, we don't believe in healing. And if God does heal, that's good, but we don't believe in it. We don't believe in casting out devils. We don't believe in exorcisms. We don't believe in the supernatural. We don't, that was in the New Testament. That was only written to prove who Jesus was. And since we got the Bible, we know who Jesus is. And so therefore, we don't believe in all of that stuff. But I've spent a lot of hours, and I say that respectfully, not pridefully, a lot of hours studying the scriptures. And I've thought the same thing, you know. I've thought, well, I've prayed for people, and actually they've died, and prayed for people, and they were healed. I remember one time, pastor in my first church, I've told you this story before, but it was such a real story to me that it made an impact in my life. I was called up to St. John St. Baptist Hospital in Lexington, Kentucky. One of my church members who at my first church was dying of brain cancer. I went up there, his name was Joby. I went up there, his wife was Jean. 
They're at the hospital. I walk into the hospital. His wife informs me that the doctor had only given him only maybe a month to live because he had brain cancer and he is not expected to live. Now, Joby was a quiet person. He didn't say much in church. He, did, he wasn't demonstrative. He didn't act like me. You, you know, he just came and sat there. So I, I went up to his bed and I said, Joby, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the healer of your body? Tears, I'll never forget it, dripped down his face. He shook his hand, said, yes, sir. I laid hands on Joby that day. And I remember the scripture I quoted. For this purpose was the Son of God manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. And I command this cancer to come out of your body. Joby, I command you to get up off of this bed and live. The Lord Jesus Christ heals you. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth, Acts 10 and 38. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth and with the Holy Ghost. And he went about healing all who were sick and oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. Oh, hallelujah. I remember, I remember, he, I remember feeling heat come out of my right arm into his body, and I, I stopped. And I said, Joby, do you feel that? He said, yes. His wife was crying. And I left the room, and God is my witness. I ain't making this up. Sean attended the church there. I got a phone call about three days later. His wife, Jean, called and said, Pastor, Joby started to improve after you left, and they did another brain scan. There ain't no cancer. Ain't no cancer. Joby, Joby was released from the hospital. He went home, and he stayed faithful till I left and came here. Just a few years ago, he passed away. You see, ladies and gentlemen, God is a healer. But there are times that I've prayed for people and they passed away. And I've struggled over it in prayer. Why is it, Lord, that there is such faith here and yet there is faith in, the, in both cases? We both believed you, but one was healed and one was not healed. Why is that? And I think that if we are, I think that if we are looking at the scriptures and looking at experience and looking at life, we can't help but to ask those questions. We are human. And people mean a lot to us. People, I mean, if you've ever lost somebody that's close to your heart, it, there is a deep pain there. As a matter of fact, if you've ever lost somebody close to you who suffered in sickness, there is a pain that, that is so deep that seems like words can't heal that up. And sometimes over time, it seems like it gets worse. So we are human. It's painful. And we can't just go to church and think, you know, some people will think, well, God don't love me, or why did God do that? And why did God heal that person, not this person? We are human, and it's okay to ask those questions. It's okay to explore those questions. And that's why I'm teaching on this. I do want you to see in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and verse number one, I want you to see this phrase that the Apostle Paul uses to the church. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse number one, I want you to see this. I think it's interesting to me that the Apostle Paul was very clear about this. Verse number one, now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. Somebody say, he doesn't want you to be ignorant. Say, he doesn't want me to be ignorant. Now concerning spiritual gifts, my brethren, he says, I don't want you to be ignorant. Now, what do you think he's saying here? He's saying, I don't want you to be unaware of what I'm trying to tell you. The, the word gift there is charismata, which means the gifts of the Spirit. And one of the gifts of the Spirit is healing. As you will further read here, that one of the gifts of the Spirit is healing and the Apostle Paul was very clear, and he says, I, want, I don't want you to be ignorant concerning spiritual gifts. He says, I don't want you to be ignorant about it. I want you to know something about it. He says, verse number seven, he says, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to all and for all, for the profit of all. Somebody say, for the profit of all. 
he says, he's speaking to the church here. Now, this is what's interesting. He's saying, and this was written after the last apostle. And he's, he's writing here, he's saying, I, I don't want you to be unaware of this. You need to be aware that the gifts of the Spirit is for the profit of all. It's to build up the body of Christ. So we don't seek after signs. The gifts of the Spirit and the healing and the manifestations of the Spirit is given to the church so that it builds up the church. Somebody say, build up the church. He says, I don't want you to be ignorant concerning it, brethren. I want you to be aware of it. I want you to be aware of it. He says, I don't want you to even come behind. Look at, look at it again. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I want you to see this. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 7. Now look at it. This is the same word that he just used for charismata. 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 7. Now look at this. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 7. Now look at this. This is powerful. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 7. And I want you to see it behind me, and I want you to notice this word here that he uses. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 7. So that you come short in no gift, eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Ronnie, go to 1 Corinthians 1, verse 7. I want all, everyone to see this. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 7. So that you come in short of no gift, what is the word gift? The same word in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1, which is charismata, which is the gift of healing, the gift of tongues, the gift of wisdom, the gift of revelation, all those nine gifts of the Spirit, which is healing is one of them. In 1 Corinthians 12, verse 1, charismata. Then he says in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 7, he says, I don't want you to come short. In other words, I don't want you to miss it. I want you to have it. He says, until the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, church, he is saying this. I want you to make sure that you're not unaware of the gifts of the Spirit. And I want to make sure that you know the gifts of the Spirit and you have the gifts of the Spirit until Jesus comes. Now, let me ask you something. Is Jesus here yet? He's not here. He hasn't come back yet. So let me remind you, the gifts of the Spirit is to be operative in the church service. I know we got a lot of seeker-sensitive churches that don't want to operate in the gifts of the Spirit because they're afraid to offend someone. But listen, disuse doesn't correct abuse. Just because that's what pastors will say. Well, I believe in it, but since I've seen so much abuse of it, I don't want to do it in my church. Okay, I get that, because I've seen some crazy stuff. But disuse of the gifts doesn't correct the abuse of the gifts. That is why the church should have a pastor who will teach the church how to operate in the gifts of the Spirit effectively where there's not abuse in the church. And maybe the reason why these churches are not operating in gifts of the Spirit is because the pastor don't know anything about the gifts of the Spirit himself. So you, you cannot, he says, I don't want you to come short in the gifts until you wait for the revelation of Jesus Christ. In other words, you should be operating in the gifts of the Spirit until Jesus comes. I'm going to say that again. You should operate in the gifts of the Spirit until Jesus comes. It should, be, it should be the life of the church. And just because we've seen abuse, I've seen some crazy stuff. How many would raise your hand and say, Pastor, I've been in church, Pentecostal churches, and I've seen some crazy. Come on, somebody raise your hand. I've seen some crazy stuff. I've, sit on, I've preached revivals. And I've sat on church pews on the front seat. My face has turned red. And I've asked the Lord, why did I sign up to be a Pentecostal? Why didn't you call me to be a Presbyterian so we don't have to deal with all this junk? But the reason the Lord called me is that we can have a healthy, balanced, Pentecostal church 
in Galena and we can be an example where you don't have to be flaky and weird to be a Pentecostal, but you can engage your heart, you can engage your mind, and it can be appropriate and it can be in order. Can somebody say amen? So, so disuse of the gifts does not correct abuse of the gifts. Doesn't correct the abuse of the gifts. Jesus would preach 10 minutes and then he would perform miracles. He walked in the power of God. Nowadays, preachers preach for an hour because they don't know how to operate in the gifts of the Spirit. See the difference? They got to entertain for an hour because there is no power present. So we got to come up with something. Now we got pastors wearing skinny jeans and you know what I'm saying. Lights and fog machine, you know, and all that's good. Hey, if you can fit into the jeans, more power to you. More power to you, buddy. But for me, I can't fit into them. So can I hear an amen? So I just accept, thank you, brother. <laughs> I just accept my limitations. Is that all right, somebody? Just accept your limitations. So with that being said, ladies and gentlemen, we believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says, even in the Old Testament, the Bible was very firm that God was a healer in the Old Testament. This is not something that God came up with in the New Testament. The Bible says in the book of Exodus chapter number 15, Exodus chapter number 15, verse 26, Exodus 15 and verse number 26. Look at the words here that, that God is saying here. He says, if you will diligently heed to the voice of the Lord your God, or Moses, excuse me, saying this, and do what is right in his sight and give ear to his commandments, keep his statutes, I will put none of these diseases on you which I've brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord that heals you. So even in the Old Testament, he demonstrated himself as Jehovah Rapha, the Lord that heals. It's not something that God created in the New Testament to show compassion to his people. God was a compassionate God even in the Old Testament and even healed his people in the Old Testament. Now with that being said, why is it that people are not healed? Now I can go into a theological debate here and preach 50 minutes on just why I think people are not healed. And I'm going to share a few things this morning why it could be a possibility that people are not healed. But there is a short answer to this. And I want this to get in your spirit. I want you to write it down. And I don't want you to forget about it. It's not a, it's not a big revelation. It's something simple that you see in Scripture. And that is the sovereignty of God. And the sovereignty of God states this, that God is God and He will do what he feels is best for his creation and what is best for his people, period. And we don't like that, do we? I've commanded people to get healed. I've commanded people to get up and walk. I've prayed the scriptures. I've read the scriptures. I've pleaded the scriptures. I've fasted and prayed, and some people were not healed. And they were godly people. They loved God. They didn't have sin in their life. They were godly people. Why is it? Because that is a picture of the sovereignty of God and God is simply saying, I'm sovereign, I'm God, I know what's best and I'm choosing not to heal them, I'm going to take them with me. And how many would agree with Pastor Josh? I know that that's not deep for you. I know that we wanted something deep, but it's, it's a principle in Scripture that God is a sovereign God. He is the creator of heaven and earth. Heaven is his throne and the earth is his footstool and he rules the nations by a scepter. He is God. He is the ruler of all things. He is the creator of all things. He is moved with compassion. He will heal, but there are times in his sovereignty where he decides this is what's best and I want him or her to me. And we got to trust that. And as Christians, ladies and gentlemen, as Christians, we are not called to figure everything out we are called to trust Him. I'm going to say that again. We are not called to figure everything out. We are called to trust Him. And there comes a time in your life that you will pray and you will read and do everything that's right and buy the book and still it doesn't happen. 
And that is where you've got to come to the end of yourself and say, listen, God, you're sovereign. I have to trust you. I don't know everything about it. I can't figure your ways out. I've got to trust you. And that is why the prophet said, his ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. That's where you've got to come to a place in your life saying, Lord, I've done everything I've known to do. I simply trust you. And are you at a place in your life that you can trust God even when you've done everything right? That doesn't mean that God don't love them if they died in sickness. That doesn't mean that God don't love you. That doesn't mean that God is uncompassionate. It doesn't mean that God is likes one person and he don't like this person. It means that this is a sovereign thing. That God is God and he knows what's best and this is what he chose to do. And we got to trust him. We have to trust him. And that's one of the hardest things for the church to do is we don't want to trust, we want to figure things out. So I don't want you to walk in condemnation today. I don't want you to walk in guilt because you prayed over something and that person was not healed. I want you to rest assured that God loves you. He cares for you. He loved that person. But at the same time, we've got to trust his sovereignty. Now, with that being said, there are occasions in Scripture where people were sick. The Apostle Paul, the Bible says, they took handkerchiefs from his body and it healed those who were sick. But at the same time, people who were associated with Paul were sick. Now, that is an oxymoron, but it's true. The Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 23, 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 23, the Apostle Paul here is talking about Timothy, which is his son in the faith. He had a son in the faith and loved him very much. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that Paul referred to him as his dear son. And he's writing to Timothy and he says to Timothy, listen, you've got some stomach problems and what I want you to do is drink a little wine for your stomach. You, and history bears out that Timothy had some stomach issues. Now, we don't know what kind of issues he had, but the Apostle Paul is telling him, you need to drink some wine. You need to, and wine was considered not only uh, an, uh, a beverage, but it was also considered something that could bring healing to your body. And so the Apostle Paul is saying, drink a little wine for your stomach's sake. Drink this because I know that you've been sick. Now, why is it that Paul can heal the sick and yet his own son in the faith is sick? Why is it that the Apostle Paul healed the sick and yet his own son in the faith is having stomach problems? That teaches us that sometimes God will use natural means to heal people. Thank God for doctors and nurses who diligently give themselves to the care of those who are sick. Amen. And every time I go to the hospital, pray for the sick, I always start by saying, Lord, I thank you for doctors and nurses. I thank you for what they can do, but they are only limited in what they can do. I thank you. <laughs> I thank you for what they can do. But there are some things that they cannot do. And so here, Timothy is having some stomach problems. It, it just stands to reason that there are some things that God wants you to do to take care of your life, to take care of your body, to take care of your med to take your medicine, do what the doctor prescribed you to do until there's a verified healing in your body. So take a little bit of wine for your stomach's sake. What about 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 19? 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 19. Here is the he's greeting uh, that ministry couple. This, uh, Priscilla and Aquila, he's greeting them. And in his letter in verse number 20, verse number 20, he, the apostle Paul is saying to his son in the faith, he's saying, listen, I've left some people in Miletus that was sick. I had to go on my missionary journey. There's some people that's sick, but I go on. Well, why didn't Paul the apostle lay hands on them and ask God to heal them? Because these scriptures stand to reason with us that there are times in God's sovereignty that some people are not healed. One of the greatest men of the Bible, the greatest men of the, one of the greatest men of the Bible is Second, uh, excuse me, Second Kings chapter twelve, Second Kings chapter number twelve, verse thirteen, Second Kings chapter, excuse me, Second Kings chapter thirteen and verse number fourteen, Second Kings chapter number thirteen and verse 14, I want you to look at Elisha. Elisha. This is so interesting. 
And the Bible says here is this great man who was anointed and appointed by God, and yet the Bible says at the end of his life, Elisha suffered of a sickness from which he died. How can a man be so anointed of God? How can a man walk in the healing and the power of God and yet at the end of his life die of a sickness? But yet that's what the Bible says, that Elisha became very sick and he died. He healed the sick, remember? He was caught up in a chariot of fire, but yet he died of sickness. Why is it now, ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, I could read on and on and on of how people died of sickness, and yet they were believers, and yet they believed God. Many of you have relatives and parents, and you have people that you were close to who were mighty men of God, mighty women of God, and yet they died of a sickness. I grew up in a church where, when my early years, where a woman was the pastor and my uncle was the associate pastor. She died very early of scleroderma, and the scleroderma hardened the organs of her body where she actually smothered to death. I went to Cleveland Clinic Hospital, walked in there. I was years, I mean, I was a little boy when I went to her church and my uncle was the associate pastor and my youth pastor was there. I, I, I left Kentucky, went up to uh, Cleveland Clinic, walked into her room. She had a mask, barely breathing. Of course, I'm tears dropping out of my, down my face because she was like a mother to me. And here she's barely gasping for air. And I'm asking God to heal. And she was only 62 years old. I'm asking God to heal her. She prayed for hundreds of people, built a great ministry, and yet she died of scleroderma. The day of her funeral, there was over 2,000 people trying to get into her church. They locked the doors of her church. I preached her funeral. And as I stood behind the pulpit, there were so many flowers, you couldn't even see my face because she touched thousands of people. But yet, it was a mystery. Elisha became sick and he died. We cannot sit here and say that everyone is healed. Not everybody is healed. There are some who die of sickness. But we've got to trust God's sovereignty. We've got to trust that God knows what he's doing. My pastor believed the word, quoted the word, stood on the word. We prayed and shouted. She even had a preacher come to her church Mike Warnke gets up and says, I had a vision. You're going to get new lungs. And if you don't get new lungs, you can track me down and stone me. Well, she died. So her church said, where is he? So we can stone him. You've got to be careful saying, thus says the Lord of hosts. You've got to be careful using God's name when God didn't say it. You've got to be careful that you're saying, thus says the Lord, and thus says the Lord. I'm telling you what, I hear all kinds of people saying, Lord, God, God said this to me, God said this to me, and I don't believe God is saying that much to you. Because if God was saying that much to you, what you are saying would line up with what the written word is saying. And what you're saying is not what the written word is saying. Boy, somebody help me out. Is this all right this morning? Is this all right this morning? So, we've got to trust God's sovereignty. In all of this, what you have to understand, that no matter how much you've prayed, no matter how much you believed, no matter what you've done, you may have done everything right, and that person may be a godly person, no sin in their life, a godly person, and yet God still takes them because of His sovereignty. And that, is a, that could be a major reason why some people are not healed. Because God is God, and this is a sovereignty. He's a sovereign God. But the Bible says in Mark chapter 6, even the New Testament bears out the sum were not healed. Mark chapter number 6, Mark chapter number 6 and verse number 4. Mark chapter 6 and verse number 4. Mark 6 and verse number 4. We'll look at number 3. Mark 6, verse 3, is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, Simon? And are not his sisters with us? So they were offended at him. How many of those people got offended back then? People are still getting offended. And somebody say amen. Look at verse number four. But Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own country, among his own relatives, and not his own house. Verse number five. Now he could not do mighty works there except lay his hands on a few sick people and they were healed. 
He couldn't heal everybody. He couldn't perform all the miracles because there was hindrances to people's healings. Not everybody was healed. There was hindrances to people's healing. Now, ladies and gentlemen, let me say this and make sure you're, we're, we're all on the same page here. Whether somebody is healed here, they will be healed there. I'm going to say that again. Whether they receive healing at this altar, they're eventually going to be healed there. Somebody say praise the Lord. The Bible says, Revelation 21 and verse number 4, the Bible says that there was a man on the island of Patmos, John, and John was boiled in oil seven times. Is that right? And John is laying on this island. He looks up and he pins these words, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying, and no more what? No more what? No more what? For the former things have passed away. No more walkers, no more respirators, no more wheelchairs, no more cancer, no more AIDS, for the former things have passed away. No more doctors, no more nurses, no more nursing homes, no more hospitals. The former things have passed away. And so we've got to have a heavenly view here. That even though people may not get healed here, the blood of Jesus still provided atonement and healing for their bodies. Even though it may not be manifested here, it's provided for them. And sometimes we get so discouraged because we look through a glass darkly and we think we've figured everything out. Trust Him. Now, with that being said, the Bible also indicates that it seems to me that it was the norm for people to be healed in the New Testament. Now, this is almost sounds like an oxymoron. I have gave you a few scriptures where people were sick and did not receive healing. But I also reminded you that 1 Corinthians 12 verse 1 and 1 Corinthians 1 verse 7 says that we should grab a hold of the gifts we should operate in the gifts. And how many would agree with that? So if the Bible is telling us that we should run after the gifts of the Spirit, which one of them is healing, and some people are not healed, but yet it seems like it's the norm that people are healed, then where do we stand? I'll tell you where we stand. When you come to this altar and we lay hands on you, you should have the attitude of if he did it in the New Testament, he can do it for me. If I don't get healed, that's up to God. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to place my faith in Christ is not only the Savior, he's not only the baptizer, he is also Christ the healer. You see, so I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to be on this side of the fence. I'm going to be on the side of the fence that reads the scriptures that he healed all who were sick. The Bible says in Matthew chapter number 9, Matthew chapter 9 verse 35, look at it. I'm almost done. Matthew chapter 9 verse 35, the scripture says, Then Jesus went about the cities and the villages teaching in the synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sicknesses and every disease among the people. Did he heal all? Yes, he's in Galilee, and he healed every one of them. He healed every person who was sick with diseases. Now, the question is, what would hinder somebody from being healed? I want you to shout this out with me. I want you to say, there's hindrances to being healed. I want you to shout it out one more time. There's hindrances to being healed. Number one, the first hindrance is unbelief. If you don't believe the word, you're not going to get healed. You've got to believe it. Everybody say unbelief. The Bible says in Matthew 17, verse 18. Matthew chapter 17, verse number 18. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the child was cured that very hour. The Bible also says, verse number 19. 
After he rebuked the child, verse 19, then the disciples came to him privately and says, why could we not cast this out? Verse 20 says this, Jesus said to them, because of your unbelief. Could it be that if you have faith as the grain of a mustard seed, you will say into the mountain, be thou removed and be cast into the sea and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe those things which he saith, you shall have him. Unbelief could stop you from being healed. If you don't believe it, don't expect to be healed. Let me just give you a prime example. Have you ever been to a church service where people were so generous? Have you ever been to a church service where people did get healed? Have you ever been to a church service where there was the gifts of the Spirit flow? And the reason for that is, is because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Look at the Scripture. Romans chapter number 10 and verse 17. Romans chapter 10 and verse number 17. Romans 10 verse 17. So faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. The reason that some people, there is a greater anticipation of healing in a church service is because the word of God is being preached on healing so people's faith is coming up to that level. So unbelief could stop you from being healed. If you don't believe it, don't expect to be healed. Everybody shout unbelief. Matthew chapter 13, verse 58. Matthew 13, verse 58. I want you to see this. Unbelief can stop you from walking in the healing of God. The Bible says he did not do mighty works because of their unbelief. Somebody shout unbelief. I want you to raise your right hand and say in Jesus' name, my faith has been increased. Come on, I, want you to, I don't want you to say like you're on a respirator. Say like you mean it. My faith is increased to believe that it is God's will that I be healed in Jesus' name. Amen. John chapter 11, verse 15. John 11, verse 15. Another reason is because maybe they're sick so that God would get the glory. Maybe there is a delay so God would get the glory. As in the case of Lazarus, Jesus said, I am glad for your sake that I was not there, that ye may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. Some people remain sick for a long time because God has a plan of raising them up so that many people will believe, so that God will get the glory. So maybe there's a delay in that. Number three, maybe it's because of sin. Maybe because they have unconfessed sin in their life. Unconfessed sin. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 29. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 29. Maybe sin is a reason why people are not getting healed. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 29. For he that eats and drinks unworthily eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. Taking the Lord's body in vain can bring sickness to your body. That's why when you come to this front and you put that bread and juice in your mouth, it is not for a show. The scripture says you eateth and drinketh damnation to yourself if you don't do it correctly. If you don't have a spirit of reverence about it. If you're looking at it just like it's a Sunday meal and there's no special presence of God with it. He says be careful because you can eateth and drinketh damnation and sickness to your own body. So if you can eat and drink of it and bring damnation to yourself, you can eat of it and drink of it and it can bring healing to yourself. Did you hear me? So sin, Mark chapter 11, verse 25. I'm almost done, just hang with me. Mark 11, are y'all with me? Say, I'm with you, pastor. Everybody say, I'm with you, pastor. Mark 11, 25, sin can be an issue. And, who, and when you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive them. Because if you don't forgive them, your father won't forgive you. So get the sin out of your life. Make sure you walk with a pure heart. He says, I won't forgive you. James chapter 5, verse 13. James 5, verse 13. James is saying here, he says, is there anybody suffering? Is anybody walking in sickness? He says, is anybody cheerful? Is anybody singing? He says, verse number 14. He says, is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let him pray over him, anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the Bible says in verse 15, look at the connection here. Verse 15, and the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise them up. And if you committed sins, you will be forgiven. Verse 16, 
He says, verse 16, confess your trespasses one to another. What's the connection? Sin can hinder the healing of God in your life. Make sure you confess and get rid of it. So unbelief, somebody shout unbelief. Somebody say it's the glory of God. Somebody say it could be a sin issue. And it could be number four because you don't ask. You don't ask to be healed. The failure to ask, you're not going to get healed. Oh, this is a powerful scripture that I never saw before. John chapter number five. John chapter number five. Isn't it interesting in John chapter number five that Jesus points out the pool of Bethesda? Chapter number five. And when Jesus saw him laying there, this is this man laying at the pool for 38 years. He's sick. But I want you to see, I want you to see verse 3. John 5, verse 3. The Bible says in verse 3 of the same chapter, verse 3, that there was a great multitude of people who were sick. So not everybody got healed. There was lots of people that were sick. But verse number 6 is the, is the, is the kicker. Verse number 6. And when Jesus saw him laying there, he knew that he had been there for a long time. And he said to them, do you want to be made well? Could it be that Jesus is simply saying, all of you are laying around sick and nobody is asking to be healed. And Jesus come up on the scene and says, does anybody want to get healed today? Jesus is saying, is there anybody that wants to be healed? There's lots of people sick. They're laying around the porch. And Jesus had to initiate the question. Verse number seven. And then the man makes excuses. Verse number seven. The sick man answered. Verse seven. The sick man answered and said, I have no one to put me in the pool to stir it up. But somebody always comes ahead of me. But Jesus says, verse number eight. I'm about to shout here. Jesus didn't enter, entertain his excuses. Jesus just looked at him and says, rise up and take your bed and walk. You don't need to get in the pool, my brother. Just get up and walk. And the Bible says, verse number nine, are y'all ready for it? Verse number nine, and immediately, because when you get healed, it's an immediate thing. And immediately, the man was made, and he took up his bed, and he walked, and it was on the Sabbath. So could it be that the reason we don't see healing in our churches is because we don't ask for it? Don't ask for it. Maybe it's because of demonic influences. Demonic influence. Everybody shout demonic influence. It could be that the enemy himself has afflicted you with sickness. And it's a demonic thing that needs to be rebuked. The Bible says in Luke 13 verse 10, Luke 13, verse 10, it gives us a story of a woman who is sick. The Bible says Jesus is teaching in the Sabbath, on the in the synagogue on the Sabbath, and the Bible says in verse number 11 that as he's teaching, behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and was bent over and couldn't lift up herself. There was a demonic influence. She was sick for 18 years that long because the devil himself had afflicted her with sickness. And it could be is that when we pray, we need to rebuke the spirit of infirmity off of her. Another reason is because of God's sovereignty. I've already dealt with that. Some people are not healed because God has chosen not to heal them. I've already dealt with that. That God in his sovereignty chooses not to heal them because of his sovereignty. It doesn't mean they did anything wrong. They could have lived a good life. They they could, they could have believed God. They could have stood in God's presence and asked God and done everything right and God chooses not to do it because it's his sovereignty. We've got to rest in that. Another reason is because people don't use common sense. And this is my last reason. People don't use common sense. If you eat five cheeseburgers every day for 20 years, don't expect your heart to be healthy. Oh, half of you grunted, but let me just say it again. If you eat five cheeseburgers every day for 20 years, don't expect. Sometimes we just got to use common sense that if I inject that in my body, and if I do that to my body, 
then I am hindering the temple of God. And we got to use common sense. If you go to the doctor and the doctor has prescribed a medicine, you need to take the medicine until it's written on paper, you are completely made whole and well. And you know why you need to do that? Can I give you a reason why you need to do that? Is because I'm from West Virginia and everybody in West Virginia knows everything. They're a doctor, they're a lawyer, and they don't even have a high school education, but they know it all. And let me just remind you, you're not a doctor. You didn't go to medical school for eight to 10 years. You didn't study half of the night to know the anatomy of the body. So why don't we just submit our pride and understand that maybe the doctors have went to school because obviously God approves the doctors. Luke, who is an apostle, was a doctor. And so let's just understand that sometimes we need to use common sense and let God do what he wants to do. And if he chooses doctors and nurses, then let's just thank God for it. So maybe we're not using common sense. Can I have, can I have five seconds can I have five seconds? Y'all just hurt my ego. I said, can I have five seconds? Are y'all ready for this? It seems to me it's the norm for people to get healed. There are some exceptions. I've already did that. But this is the norm. You ready for it? Are you ready, Pastor Ronnie? Here we go. Matthew 4, 23. Look at these scriptures. And Jesus went about Galilee teaching in the synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, healing all kinds of sicknesses and all kinds of what? The Bible says in Matthew 9 and verse 35, not only did he heal the sick, but look at this scripture. This is in the book of Matthew. Then Jesus went about the cities and the villages, teaching in the synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the the Bible says in Matthew 10 and verse number 1, the Bible says, and he went and called the 12 disciples to him, and he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sicknesses and all kinds of... Matthew 12 and verse 15, but Jesus knew it and withdrew from there, and a great multitude followed him, and he healed them... Matthew 14, verse 14. Matthew 14, verse 14. And Jesus went out and saw a great multitude. He was moved with compassion and he healed their sick. Verse number 36 of the same chapter. The Bible says, and he begged them that they might only touch the hem of his garment and as many as touched him, they were made perfectly. Woo! Hallelujah! Faith comes by healing. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Matthew 15 and verse number 30. And the great multitude came to him, having with them the lame, the blind, the mute, the maimed, and many others. And, he, and they laid them down at Jesus' feet, and he healed them. Mark chapter number 1 and verse 29, or verse number 32, I'm sorry. Mark chapter 1 and verse number 32. The Bible says, at evening when the sun had set, they brought to him all who were sick and all those who were demon-possessed. Next verse, 33. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And then the Bible says, Then he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he did not allow the demons to speak because they knew him. Mark chapter 6 and verse number 56. How many feels the power of God right now? Whenever he entered into the villages and cities and countries, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and begged him that he just might touch the hem of his garment. And as many as touched him, they were made. Mark 16 and verse number 14. I'm getting really excited up in this Pentecostal church this morning. Later he appeared to the eleven. And as he sat at the table, he rebuked the unbelief. He rebuked what? Unbelief and the hardness of their heart because they did not believe those who had seen him after that he had been risen. 
Verse number 15. And he said to them, Go into the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And those who believe and is baptized will be saved. And those who do not believe will be condemned. The Bible says, And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name they shall cast out demons. They shall speak with new tongues. Somebody say amen. Somebody say amen. And the Bible says in verse number 18, verse number 18, then you'll take up serpents. We're not snake handlers. The Greek word means you take them up and remove them. You don't take them up and dance with them. And if you drink anything deadly, it shall no means hurt you, and you'll lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. They shall recover. The Bible says in Luke chapter 4, Luke 4 and verse 40, Luke 4 verse 40, and when the sun was setting, all those who were sick with various diseases were brought to him, and he laid hands on them, and he healed them. Hallelujah. Luke 6 and verse 17. Luke 6 and verse number 17. And it came down with them and stood at the level place with the crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people of Judah and uh, Jerusalem and all the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon. And they came to him and he healed all of their diseases. He healed what? He healed what? He healed all of their diseases. Next verse. He healed all of their diseases as well as those who were tormented with unclean spirits. They were healed. Luke 9 verse 11. The Bible says in Luke chapter 9 verse number 11 and when the multitudes knew it they followed him, received them, spoke about the kingdom of God, and healed all those who had need healing. Psalm 103, verse 1. Psalm 103, verse 1. I love what David said as I close. This is my last closing. Psalm 103, and verse 1. He says, oh, bless the Lord, oh, my soul, and all that's within me. Bless his holy name. Verse number 2, he says this. Bless the Lord, all my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. Verse number three, he goes on and says, He forgives all of my iniquities, and he heals all of my diseases. I think David is a Pentecostal. He is Christ the Savior. He forgives my sin. He's Christ the healer. He heals all my diseases. Is there anybody in this Pentecostal church that still believes he is a healer of our bodies? Do you still believe that by his stripes we are made healed? For this purpose was the Son of God manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Hallelujah! Oh, somebody give God praise. I know what I'm talking about. I said I know what I'm talking about. Hallelujah. I said he heals all of our diseases. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Somebody give him praise today. Somebody give him glory today. He is Jehovah Rapha, the Lord that heals. Remain standing. I remember in 2014, my mother had been sick for 10 years. And you know this. You prayed with her. She, she was, they came out and the staff was there at Ruby Memorial Hospital. They said, they came to me and said, sir, your mother has three days to live. And she's on a ventilator, unresponsive, can't breathe. Just three days. I called the funeral home. And I said to the funeral home as I was crying, I said, listen, my mom will be dead in three days. And I made funeral arrangements with Lauren Barb Funeral Home in Elkins, West Virginia. Got off the phone. My pastor came and his wife and came into the room and said, Josh, what do you want to happen? I said, I want my mom to live a little longer. She's only, she was only 49, 50 years old. I want her to live for a little longer.
He says, we're going to believe that she lives. He got out the Bible and all those scriptures I just read, he just started reading them in the room. As many as touched the Lord, he healed them all. He went throughout Galilee preaching and teaching, and he healed every sickness and every disease. Acts 10, 38, for God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, and he went about healing all who were sick and oppressed of the devil. My God, he started reading, and I started getting happy. I started getting happy. I said, well, I said, well, maybe... Maybe she can live. And so I got up and I started reading the scriptures. It was three days later. They took her off the ventilator and the nurses wrote on her blackboard or whiteboard, she's a living miracle. My mom lived three years after that. I had three more years with her. I want to let you know that we serve a God. Come on, somebody. I said, come on, somebody. As many has touched him, they were made well. Telling you what the power of God is tangible. You know why the apostle said, or James said, if you're sick, come forward and let the elders lay hands on you. And the prayer of faith will raise you up. Do you know why? Do you know why? Because the anointing of God is tangible. That means whatever is on my life can come off of my life and go through your body. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus walking. Jesus is walking through the city. And a woman with the issue of blood said, if I could just touch his hymn, I'll know I'll be made well. She touched his hymn. And what did Jesus say? He looked around and said, who touched me? I felt virtue come out of my body. Because I want to let you know the power of God can reside on a man of God. It can reside on a woman of God. And the Bible says the elders can lay hands on you. And the anointing that's on their life can come out of their life and get on your life. And you can be made, completely made well. Woo! Somebody give him praise today. Hallelujah. I said Hallelujah. Oh, glory to God. How many feels the power of God this morning? I said, how many feels the power of God this morning? Every form of sickness and disease in your body can be made well the very moment somebody lays hands on you. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, for this purpose was he manifested, that he might destroy every work of the devil. In the name of Jesus, I stand in the presence of God. I'm not going to figure out why God healed this person and didn't heal this person. I'm encouraged to know that he moves with compassion and God can and he does still heal.